G'day, Giles here, and welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. Before this episode begins, I just want to apologise about the uh, lag time between last episode and this episode. Uh, there's been, Don and I have had some troubles sort of aligning our schedules, and so uh, we're very, very apologetic about that. There's been some changes with daylight savings that have sort of thrown our different time zones um, into <laughs> difficult territory in terms of trying to find a time to record. Um, we've found a schedule now, and we've recorded a few more episodes, and um, we're back on track. So uh, sit back, and hopefully you'll enjoy episode 30 of Games in Schools and Libraries. On November 23rd, the Chicago Toy and Game Group and GamesForEducators.com at g4ed.com are hosting the 7th Annual Games for Educators Conference at the Chicago Toy and Game Fair. The host this year is James Taylor of Game Changer at the University of Chicago. He has assembled a terrific new line of presenters from the Hive Learning Network to cover digital and analog topics. The Hive Learning Community Network is an open, connected community dedicated to transforming the learning landscape, creating opportunities for youth to explore their interests in virtual and physical spaces. The Games for Educators Conference is sponsored by Mayfair Games, the makers of Settlers of Catan, and by Bananagrams, Hive Chicago, and the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. The Chicago Toy and Game Fair runs at the Navy Pier, Festival Hall A, November 23rd and 24th, 2013. Saturday from 10 to 6, Sunday from 10 to 5. The Games for Educators Conference is November 23rd, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Navy Pier, Room 329. For more information, visit chitagfair.com. That's C-H-I-T-A-G-F-A-I-R.com. And click on the link for the Games for Educators Conference. This is Games in Schools and Libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website, www.g4ed.com. G'day and welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at uh, St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I teach a Grade 3-4 classroom and I use uh, games in my classroom to support literacy and numeracy and other areas as well as run games clubs and games days. Uh, you can find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis. I'm a librarian at the Georgetown County Library System in Georgetown County, South Carolina, where I focus on technology programming, uh, games outreach, and I manage our small business center. So many hats to wear there. You can find me all over the internet where I'm a co-host on two other podcasts. One's on board games at onboardgames.net, and the other is on RPGs, which uh, you can just find from that same that same website. So Giles, it's been a while since we've recorded. I don't know how long it's going to be since you've dropped an episode, but man, it seems like it's been a couple months since we've sat down at the microphones. <laughs> well, it has been a couple of months since we sat down at the microphones. Um, the episodes have dropped sort of irregularly, and that has been due to just my work schedule and other things going on, but 
Um, yeah, aside from that, yeah, it has been a little while, but hopefully we'll get a regular recording schedule back up again and our episodes will hopefully, uh, work permitting, be a little bit more regular than they have been over the last little while. So how's everything been going at the library, Don? It's been a while since I've caught up. Well, you know, it's it's going all right, but my position there has kind of changed because my grant has ended and the funds have finally run out. So now I'm just kind of another face at the library who has a focus on teen outreach and gaming and, and technology stuff. So I've picked up some more hats where I'm running like iPad and Android classes for seniors as well as still doing... You know, a lot of stuff that's teen-focused as well. So is there a lot of stuff um, with that new focus that is, is game-orientated, or is it around usability, or, or what, what's the story? You know, I still do our game nights at the you know various libraries, but just because the money's not there, and you know, I actually took a pay cut because a grant-funded position sometimes pays a little better than an actual position, but Dwight sort of asked me to stay on and keep doing the program. And, and at this point, I haven't found anything else that's a lot more exciting. So I'm sticking around here in Georgetown, and uh, we're trying to find out what we can do on a budget. Which is actually, that's where one of the interesting things that I've done lately is we're just making the purchase of the Artemis Bridge Simulator. Which is a game where everybody takes the role of like one of the different crew positions on the bridge of a starship, like on Star Trek. And they have to work together mm-hmm. to you know, fight off aliens and explore Nebula and things like that. So it's sort of a team building exercise with groups and mm-hmm. they come in and they're going to use all the computers that we have there at one place in the library. And it should be just an immense amount of fun for the kids. Oh, that sounds excellent. So um, what, what's been involved with sort of that? Uh, what, what sort of devices are used and, um, you know, what do you hope to get out of it? Well, you know, that's that actually leads up to one of the questions that we had some of our listeners ask. They, they were asking about sort of our game groups and stuff. So do we want to talk about that right the second or do we want to come back to it when we get into our topics? Um, well, how about we come back to it? Is there anything else been going on in the library? Well, you know, summer here just ended. And so all of a sudden, it's like that great big sigh of relief. I'm sure all the librarians here who are listening who have to deal with summer reading, I'm sorry, have the joy of dealing with summer reading (laughs) in the crowds because the participation by kids particularly just shoots way up when the school's out of session. It sort of has the cycle. It's like, oh, everyone disappears at 4th of July. So you have a little bit of a break there. And then they come back a little bit later and the kids are all furious to get in like as much entertainment as they can before school gets back in session. Oh, it sounds sounds an interesting time in any case. And of course, we end up being surrogate babysitters, you know, for parents who, oh man, the, the library has gaming. We're going to drop the kids off there. So we have to remind them. <laughs> we'll come back in two or three days. That's right. We have to remind them, make sure your kids are fed and watered at the very least. Yeah, don't leave yeah. them all day there without lunch or snacks or whatever, because we don't have a food service department in our library. There's always an interesting thing, you know, running, um, you know, one of the things that I've done in, in the past is is organise and run um, booths for various game companies at, at conventions here in Australia, um, you know, demoing games and things like that, being a booth monkey. And um, that's always one of the interesting things, you know, when when a family rolls into the booth and then the parents depart. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, near to be seen again till the, the close of the day. It's, uh, you know, 
I'd rather certainly, you know, I'm not, I certainly love having families and kids at the booth by, by, you know, absolutely that that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But I also think, you know, it, it is um, beholden on parents to make sure that their kids get as much enjoyment out of it as, as they do. And it'd be good to see the families, you know, those families that go around all together and enjoy, you know, our birds and then go on to move on to enjoy other birds as well. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, there are a few tricks for for that. And, and of course, being a vendor is a lot different than being, you know, a public servant, which, you know, as a teacher and as a librarian you are. So... I'm going to ask for the indulgence of our listeners for a second. But when you're there and you're showing up products and it's your job to sort of help a company get good publicity, you put the hard sell on the kids. You're like, hey, you need to buy this game so that you can come back next year and participate in our tournament. And I imagine you're so good at it now, you'll just be great at it then. And so <laughs> the parents may have, you know thought they were getting a free babysitter, but what you've done is you've made sure that they are going to purchase this game because otherwise their life is not going to be happy. And and that's sort of, here's the price of babysitting is make sure your kid buys this game. And with Silent Death, which was the spaceship combat game I was working on, it was like, well, we have the box-based game and we have 14 different supplements for it and we have over 100 different varieties of miniatures. Uh, and, so, and you need you need two or three of every one of those. Exactly. And so it was my goal to say, <laughs> all right, we're going to put this kid through as many different ships as he could possibly enjoy and ha- give him like a top 20 list and say, all right, make a list of the ones that you want. So that when your parents come back, you know what to ask for. <laughs> well, we never uh, considered that strategy, but uh, certainly... Now, as I said, you know, it's fantastic having, you know, kids roll by and it's great seeing them participate and enjoy games and, and you know, all of those sort of things, absolutely. But um, the other... there are times, certainly, when when it's, it is used as a surrogate baby service when perhaps it, it shouldn't be. The other option was, of course, um, sugary snacks, which you don't give them until they're leaving the booth. Like, oh, you're done? Well, here, when you go, take take a handful of butterscotch. Or whatever <laughs> and it a is. complimentary espresso. Exactly. Here's a here's a free kitten. Take them home. <laughs> so, but uh, that's you know that you can't do that, of course, when you're supposed to be a service that's available to people and in the library. You're just trying to get them to come in and be a part of the community and and serve their specific needs. But whenever our, the parents come in and say, "Hey, I'm dropping off my kid to play games," I say, "Well, great. How old's your child?" seven years old i'm like oh i'm sorry uh not old enough to be alone in our library without parental supervision so that'd be great they can come in and play here but you also need to come in here and be in the room while this is going on because yeah, i have teams actually raises, in my room. yeah it actually raises a very interesting issue doesn't it where there is a sort of a a pressure on you or an onus on you as a as a service provider to make sure that you're providing a safe environment for um you know the participants that are there um and and it it's very difficult at times when that sort of thing happens when you know kids that are that are a little too younger a little bit younger than perhaps they should be are just dropped off and left there, it certainly leaves you with a with a responsibility that that um, you know that that is certainly not not necessarily under your 
jurisdiction to follow through on, you know. It really it really does throw a bit of a curveball at times, doesn't it? Well, and it's even worse when it's they shut they drop them off at like nine in the morning or ten in the morning and then it's time for us to close at seven thirty or eight at night and the parents aren't there yet. And we can't mm. leave if there's children hanging around the library looking for, you know, their parents to show up. Yeah. And so we make sure about an hour before we close down the library to say, hey, does everyone have your ride home? It's time to go. Uh, and they start calling. And every five minutes or so, we have them call their parents and say, hey, it's time to go. We uh, we can't stay late because it's not like we get paid overtime for waiting on some parent to show up and pick up their kid. Yeah. And of course, if you know the children well enough, you know, the inclination is, I'll just drop you off at your house. But you can't do that. That's just not... Yeah not appropriate in this day and age for multiple reasons yeah exactly right there are a whole range of um you know obligations and responsibilities that are especially especially as a representative of an organization um you know that that you really need to make sure you're very careful about and that certainly is one of them you know i, I run a games club after school and it's the same thing you know when when closing time for the games club rolls around, um, you know, it's always interesting where there are kids that are there whose parents haven't haven't managed to get there on time or for whatever reason, and um, you know, it always presents a bit of a challenge. So it's an interesting one, and and you know, not always, but but certainly with um, some families or in some circumstances, can be an interesting issue to have to deal with. Right. And I mean, the inclination is to, you know, call the police or someone and say, all right, this person has abandoned their child. But, <laughs> you know, that's not going to go over well in any set of circumstances. No. You know, you'll be offending no, other right. patrons. You'll be offending other librarians. You'll, you know, <laughs> hellfire will rain down upon you. Whatever it is, it just it's like yeah. poison in your community. You want to involve the police as little as possible. <laughs> that's right but it, you know it is sometimes an issue you know we've had certainly at our games club we've had um with issues with um particular families who who drop their kids off and then often you know i mean and i mean when it's a repeated behavior it's on a regular basis and the parents are not caught up with emergencies and things like that they are really just looking for some time off um, you know, it can be an issue and, and it's a very, it's a difficult and touchy sort of thing to approach because you don't want to be, um, you know, the bad person in saying, you know, we don't, you know, you're, you're implying that the parent is being a bad parent or anything by, of, of that sort that, you know, that certainly isn't what you want to do. And by the same token, you know, it really is time for the, the parent to come pick their child up. So it's, it's an issue um you know it sometimes crops up it's a yeah funny thing to deal with at times wow we're 15 minutes in already and uh, we haven't even gotten <laughs> to the topic um <laughs> is this topic going to be about is this are we going to do an extra episode today this time we're going to do it about dealing with leftover children <laughs> well last time we sat down to do this question and answers episode and we ended up talking about children uh or rather games and and kids with autism so um, you know, we could get off the beaten path, but I don't think there's anything more that can we anything more that we say on this particular topic is likely to be digging as ourselves a deeper hole. Right. I would <laughs> say that the the one well the to keep from digging yourself a deep hole, 
make sure that when people bring in children to your events, you have their current and immediate contact information. The parents need to yeah. sign in the children if they're under the age of, you know, whatever you determine is appropriate and make sure you have all the contact information is when are you going to be there and when the parent or whomever is dropping them off, make sure they know that they need to be here at 15 minutes before the time that the event is going to end. Yeah, I think the contact information thing is really, really important. And it's, um, you know, up-to-date up contact information, you know, schools should always have that that sort of thing. And I'm sure, you know, for, the, for library programs where children are booked in and all the rest of it, you would expect that, that libraries would also have that information. However, it's not always the case that that's uh, followed through or it's passed on correctly or And if it's in know, a sign-in sheet, else, it's so. just easier to get to, you know. Mm. So. Absolutely. So, yeah, very important thing that. So anything else been happening, Dom? Oh, no, nothing that I can really speak of. I think we should get to the topic. Unless you... Do you have anything else to talk about? At our school, we've got... Our games club has been going really, really well. Um, it's after school on a, on a Thursday and has been a fantastic uh, event. It's been running for a while now in conjunction with the Smith family, uh, which is a charity um, here in Australia uh, that, that supports families in need. And so that's been a fantastic program um, that I've been really, really happy to be involved with. And, and we've looked at changing the structure of how those games programs run a little bit. Um, we might talk about that a little bit later on. But um, but um, aside from that, yeah, in a couple of days' time, two days' time, in fact, we'll be running our games day here at, at uh, St George's Road. So that is really exciting. A lot of preparation going into that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the day will go really, really well. It'd be great if you had a remote rig that you could record there and get some of the kids' opinions or the parents' opinions about the game day. That'd be wonderful. Oh, well, I'll try and get a few um, kids to to give us a, a bit of a, a you know voice message about that. It's always an interesting an interesting thing. I've, I've looked at doing that before, but I've always been a little bit shy about recording the voices of, of kids and then putting that up on the internet for consumption. Um, you know, internationally, I think you know it's always one of those areas one wants to be careful around uh, as a teacher so that's why I've, that's why I've sort of stayed away from it but certainly I'd love to get some you know different kids opinions and 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 so on so we'll see how we go gotcha. so <clears throat> there was one thing that that I've been doing is that there's a call for all young game inventors from the young game inventors contest and it's it's unfortunately it's a national united states thing and it may be over by the time this drops but I've been trying to help some of the kids at the various libraries to sort of work on their games and, and you know, get something pushed and published in because there's like a $10,000 bond and, you know, trip to, you know, out to California or something, you know, and it's just a, an excuse for us to work on designing games in the library. I'd I'd love to run an episode. I think I mentioned this the last two, the last couple of episodes actually. That I would love to run an episode on um, game design in the classroom, in the library, uh, how that's structured. I know um, a couple of episodes back when we had Scott Nicholson on talking about his game design guild hall, that he mentioned it. Uh, I know when we had Brian Mayer on talking about the ALA event, that he mentioned it, and it's something that I think would be really worthwhile having a good episode or two about. Right, yeah, I think it's the Game Designers Guild. Mm. So. 
So this episode, we were following uh, sort of some of the questions and answer, looking to answer, sorry, some of the questions that uh, our listeners asked. And thank you to all those that, that threw questions into the into the ring, so to speak. Um, we'll do our best to get through these. We probably won't get through all of them, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll give it a crack anyway. Um, so Don, what's a let's go with let? How about we jump into the first right. question? It says hi, Giles. I've only been listening for about 10 episodes, so you may have done this, but I'd love to get an overview of your game programs, of what your game programs actually look like, the makeup and organization of your groups, game days, etc. Also, what were your favorite games when you were at school, and how did they impact your future gaming self and social development? Social development and games. (laughs) No. Um, All right, in all seriousness... um, Look, the games programs, you know, it really depends on, on which games program we're talking about. In terms of using the games in the classroom, it's really a matter of knowing the games really well um, that we've got access to and then and then um, when we're looking at a particular topic or we're looking to teach a particular topic, they become just a, a, a one of the tools that can be drawn upon to help break that topic open for the kids or to help reinforce a particular skill or um, whatever it may be. So... Um, as an example, you know, we've done cla- I've done classes before. We've looked at division. Um, you know, we've looked at the process of it, and then we've played a game of ink and gold, and, and that, that's a really handy thing because you know the, the players are all going along an adventure, and they get treasures, and the treasures treasures are shared between those um, players that are still on the adventure. So. What, what, what's really useful about that is that you can move from the concrete to the abstract. You're moving from the, the concrete of um, here are 15 treasures, I've got them in my hand and I'm going to give you one and I'm going to give you one and I'm going to give you one and so on. Um, all the way through to the abstract of I've got 15 here and there are five adventurers still on the path and what does that mean? You know, 15 divided by five, you know, Moving from that to the other, really, really uh, useful thing. And so Ink and Gold is one that I've used in that context. That's really about using games as, as, a, as a tool in that context. You you basically have three facets to your gaming program, right? You have sort of in-class use where you're using yep. it to sort of reinforce an educational concept of some sort, whether it's math or what have you. And then you, you also have your games days, which is more of an outreach to bring parents in and kids in uh, to, to sort of participate in a school community building event, right? Yep. And then uh, didn't you or do you still also offer games for you know troubled kids or people who are having trouble in school, you know, who are sort of on lunch grounding or something like that? No, we did a little bit of that uh, certainly a couple of years ago, and and really that's been replaced with our after school games club, which which we run in conjunction with the Smith family. So that one really, um, as I as I said in in the uh, long winded intro to this episode, that the Smith family is a charity here in in Australia that that works with um, families in need, and they run a lot of homework clubs and things like that at other schools. 
Um, we'd previously run homework clubs and, um, you know, we had our games program also running at our school and um, my principal, you know, said, well, you know, can we marry the two? Can we, instead of running a homework club per se where these kids have a, have a chance to get their homework done, can we provide these games for these kids? And I'm really lucky in that sense of having a principal that is so supportive and sees um, the social benefits of playing board games and the impact that can have for, for the kids that are um, certainly, you know, part of the, or fall under the Smith family sort of, uh, you know, orb, so to speak. Um, so the way that looks is it's an after-school club. We identify um, in conjunction with the Smith family a, a collection of families in the school who might benefit from being um, or participating in this program. Those kids are given an invitation to to participate. We've got a list of about 28 to 30 kids um, from a bunch of different families, and these kids range from um, the prep level, which is age about 5 to grade 6, uh, which is age you know, 11, 12. So there's a really big age range in there as well, and there's a lot of brothers and sisters and so forth. Um, and from that, then we basically gave those kids the invitation, look, you know, we run this program on a Thursday afternoon, you're welcome to come along. Um, you know, a good majority of them do on a, on a, on a weekly basis. We probably get about um, 20 to 25 kids on a, on a typical on a typical day, we probably get between 15 and 25 kids in the games club. Um, and then, yeah, the idea is that they, they come in, they play these games. The games really are all about not only um, the, the, the skills that they would, you know, be using in their in their day-to-day school lives, you know, addition and, and spelling or whatever the games might actually, the skills the games might actually entail. But the real, the real onus of the program is on social interaction. It's really about getting these kids to interact with one another. It's really about building a spirit of positive play, about building a really a spirit of uh, positive sportsmanship, um, you know, what does a respectful good player look like? It's really about providing opportunities for these kids to engage with each other and, and with kids that they wouldn't normally necessarily engage with um, and, and do so in a, in a sort of a, a very safe in, environment and do so in such a way as it builds a little community of people in a school that, that belong to that club. I think that's really important as well. These kids feel like they are a part of the games club and, um, you know, that's something that they've got in common. It's something that, that this prep child shares with this grade three child, shares with that grade six child, and it helps build connections across the school. It helps build connections between students. And I think that's really, really a, a really important aspect that, that I didn't identify to begin with, but certainly is something I've seen risen, or that's something I'm sorry, have, have seen rise from the program. And I've been really, really happy with that. That's pretty neat. And then the games days, a totally different thing again, you know. As you said, that was about community building. Um, You know, we struggle at times to uh, engage with our community uh, for for a whole range of reasons. We have a large number of of refugee families at our school. We have a large number of low socioeconomic families at our school. Um, You know, and, and we have a large number of working families at our school. And for... All of those reasons, and for individual family reasons, you know, we often find it very difficult to um, mobilise our school community to, um, 
you know, come to the school for, for you know, important events. Um, certainly the Games Days was something that really tried to make that bridge between the school and the community. That's certainly still a goal, although it has become an increasing focus for us to, to really build this as a, as a social um, event for each of the each of the grades. So what it looks like, what what will happen in in a, in two days' time on Tuesday as we record this. This is a Sunday um, on Tuesday as we're you know in a couple of days' time. What, what will happen is basically I've got a cadre of kids that I've that, that you know have put together that act as the game's ambassadors, and these kids have been working over the last few weeks to learn the rules of the games that we've got in our collection. They'll be the managers on the day. They'll be the teachers on the day. They'll be the bosses on the day. They'll be in charge of, of the general running of the day. And I really, this is one of the real strengths of our games days, I think, is the leadership that those children get out of being a games ambassador. They get the opportunity to teach and to um, help out a group of players that might be four years old, might be five years old. They get the chance to try and teach and to manage a group of players that might be 12 years old. And the kids that are the game's ambassadors rage, uh, sorry, range in age from sort of um, 7 to 11. So, you know, they're not all the big kids. They're, they're kids from across the school, from the middle school to the upper school. And, um, you know, it provides them with a really strong leadership opportunity in in running these games for the other kids, for te- being teachers themselves, for dealing with behavioural issues. And it's a, you know, that, that leadership aspect is really important. And then from the player point of view, they come in, they play the games. It's, a really, it's really all about um, being social, having the opportunity to think and be challenged and of course, you know, you know. Let's not forget the the whole purpose of games here. The object of the day is also for all of the kids involved to walk away feeling happy, feeling you know that they've had a fun time. That that's a really fundamental part of the day. Um, so yeah, that that's basically you know the idea behind those those different events. Yeah. Uh, well, for the library, I'm going to go a little bit shorter than Giles. I hope. Uh, we have several different kinds of activities. You know, generally we have open gaming, which is the kids can come in and use the room however they want, and that tends to be for video games because at each of our locations we have multiple stations where they can come in, check out one of the games, play it, uh, you know, and along those lines. We also have tournaments, which is where, you know, we schedule a competition, the kids sign up for it. This sort of ramps up the excitement around the room. Uh, you know, especially if we're offering a prize of, of any significance, which is not always available. <laughs> and But when we do, it, it makes things a little more exciting. And it gives the or kids a, re- it gives the kids a reason to play games that we might have had for a while. Because I found that the tournaments that are the most exciting are the ones that everyone's sort of had the chance to get good at. Whereas hmm. most of the time, the kids are coming in and they're playing that one new game that we purchased. And there's like, hey, can I play that? I'm sorry, that machine's full, you can't play that right now. But if we're like, oh, we're going to be doing like a Halo tournament or we're going to be doing a Forza 3 tournament, then you know 
the kids will practice it and they'll work on their skills and they'll give each other tips despite the fact that that's not always in their best interest. Uh, you know, <laughs> and just have this whole period where they're going to be showing off and, and that's pretty exciting. Uh, and then we also do specific game nights, which is maybe we'll be playing board games only or we'll be doing teen or children-friendly games only so we won't bring out any of the shooter games. Now, because our game room tends to be focused on teens through early 20s, uh, the guys who come in really like to uh, play the shooting games. And with that, generally there's two games that count, and that's Halo, which, yes, they're shooting and there's violence, but there's not a lot of gore, right? You're, you're hitting aliens, you're not hitting other people, so it seems a little less intense. And then there's the Call of Duty series, particularly the Black Ops, which tends to be everyone's favorite. And, you know, that, when you're being hit, there's these red splashes that look like someone's thrown jello up on your, red jello up on your TV screen. And, you know, it, it sort of gets kind of gory. So when other people come in with younger kids, we have to either say, all right, we're not playing those games anymore, or we let the parents know, hey, this is our, you know, older teen period. So if your children come in, you neither have to give permission for that, for M-rated games, or maybe they should go over until the children's area, which we have a set area set off just for that, that age kid. And, yeah. and I, what really surprises me is they say M-rated games, what do you mean? I have to explain what M means. Well, it's mature. It means it could have these themes in it. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, for here, we're not talking about Grand Theft Auto. So no sexual themes, but we are talking about games like, you know, Call of Duty, where you're going to be shooting other people and it's going to be gory. And they're like, oh, that's fine. They can do that. What they don't care, they don't want is any kind of sexual innuendo. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of weird because if you see an act of violence, it's an act of violence. But if you, there is a, and some kind of innuendo there. If you're not old enough, you're not going to get it. Yep. And it's like, okay, yeah. whatever. People confuse <laughs> me sometimes. And me. So, well, it's just the, the backwards way that we have set up our Puritan country, I guess. So, mm. um, but we do try and keep it to kids who are eligible. And we've got some that are sort of in the front and some that are in the back. And I'm like, all right, you guys need to keep your violent games back there and up in the front where we're going to be playing board games or we're going to be doing this or whatever, then we break it out. Uh, but more often than not, we just have a special area where the children can go and play. Um, or we say, all right, today's sports day. We're playing sports. We're not doing any shooting games. So. Yeah. And then also at some of the libraries, we have game nights where we try and encourage more of the adults to show up and play. And that's particularly successful at our Waccamaw Neck branch in Polly's Island which has been going on for two and a half years at this point. And, you know, once a week we have folks come together and advertising that has been really hard uh, and, and getting people to show up. But, you know, for a while we had almost 15 people, uh, but then because other gaming activities started in the area or outside of our area, the folks who were driving an hour to get to us have kind of stopped showing up. Yep. And with the price of gas today, there's no, no real wonder about that. Yeah, yes, that's that's very true. Also here in Australia. So, what about the the practicalities of actually running these events? So, you know, this is something that perhaps you know might be 
a little tedious to talk about, but it's probably something that touches, you know, on the question. It was asking specifically about how we organise these days. Um, you know, I'm thinking for our games day, um, one of the things that I, I do well in advance, say two or three weeks in advance, is um, put out a call across the school for any of the children that would be interested in being involved um, as being games ambassadors. Um, and I try and make sure that I pick... A mixture of kids, um, particularly focusing on those kids that aren't involved in other activities, you know, whether it be netball or football or, you know, some other sporting events or plays or, you know, other leadership roles around the school. So I try and make sure that, that I'm picking those kids that aren't necessarily involved in those other leadership opportunities because I think it's really important to give, um, you know, those other kids an opportunity to um, demonstrate and, and experience some leadership roles. So um, that that's the first thing that we do. And then, then we get together, uh, you know, on a regular basis. You know, it might be two or three lunchtimes uh, in a week or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and the object of those uh, sessions is to learn the games in our games collection and that's a pretty sort of uh, arduous <laughs> task altogether but um, you know it's obviously something that needs to be done and then you know approaching much closer to the event probably within you know the week before we send home pamphlets to families showing uh, the times that the event will be running um, and one of the other things that we do is make sure that the children come through in grade lots. So, for example, um, you know the one, the grade ones and twos come in together. The grade threes and fours come in together. The five sixes, um, you know, we we bring in the preschool or a preschool that, that's close to our school. We bring in. Um, we have a English language centre who whose sort of role it is to um, teach English languages to the English language. Sorry to um, refugee families and and particularly refugee students of school in our area so we invite those kids along at a particular time um, so you know all of these different families have particular times that all goes on the pamphlet so parents um, that want to come in know if they want to come in when their particular child is involved they're welcome to do that and they know when their particular child is going to be involved in the program um, and then each of those each of those things is usually an hour long so they come in for the games day for an hour and then all of those kids leave um, and that makes it a lot more manageable because each of the groups is probably you know 50 60 70 children um, so we have that number of children in playing games at the same time then we pack all of that up send them off the games ambassadors we usually try and structure the day as well so that the the kids of similar ages are coming in you know one after the other and that makes it easier in terms of actually having games set out on the tables with the younger kids I'll try and have games already set up on tables so that I'll be saying, you know, you, you and you go over to that table, you, 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 you and you go over to that table. And those games are already set up on those tables with the games ambassadors there ready to teach. All the kids need to do is go and sit down. Um, when they're finished the game, they put their hands up and then I'll move them over to an empty table. You know, it, it's it's as simple as that. With the older kids, there's a lot more autonomy. You know, I want to give them the choice. Uh, they can go and play this game or that game. And the game's ambassadors move from being more the um, referees and teachers to being uh, the facilitators, so to speak. So it's, it's, it's 
it's interesting, and I've just found that that system for us seems to work really, really well. So, um, in terms of practically how does our games day run from from a logistical point of view, that gives a bit of an insight. What about um, your games? Your your games events, Don. You know, what what sort of advertising do you do? Do you need to book spaces? Um, you know, what you've got a library there, and and you know, the the first rule of any library is shh. So <laughs> given that, you know, how, how do you structure, you know, running Halo and Call of Duty and, and these sort of games events as well? Well, it really depends at which library you're at. At the uh, Georgetown Library, and we have a room with a door on it that sometimes stays closed, <laughs> not as often as it should. <laughs> and so we just have them keep the volume down low enough that they can sort of hear what's going on, but uh, not so low that... I mean, but not so loud that, you know, it interferes with what other people are doing in the library. My real goal, though, is quite honestly to move all of the quiet activities into the game room and move all the game room activities out into the rest of the library. But I don't think my boss is going to fall for that. Uh, so what we there's a fire drill and the the assembly area is in the games room for the quiet people. Exactly. I think that's the way we should do that. Um, <laughs> but I think that. The library would be a much better place if we if we had you know less of a stricture outside, but we had a sort of a uh, sanctuary for people who still wanted the quiet of the library. But most of our library staff would be so resistant to anything except for a crypt silent you know atmosphere that I don't think we could even possibly get away with that. So well, what do we do for advertising? Oh. We're kind of lucky. We've got a, a county person. We've recently hired someone who they're in charge of publicity. So anytime we have a, a significant event, we can get her to help us do stuff with it. You yep. know, And I don't know what all that entails. I haven't really had a chance to avail myself of that option yet, but I, I look forward to doing so. For the weekly game night at the Polly's Island Library, we have a Facebook group uh, for both the teen game programming and there's one for the uh, uh, Grand Strand Gamers which isn't related to the library but since I'm one of the guys who has the biggest game collection I take advantage of its existence and every month or I'm sorry every week I post in there hey here's what's going on at this week's library and this is the game of the week and this is the game of the month and that way we've got some continuity where hey this game is going to be played all month so everyone gets the chance to come and play it if they want uh, and Game of the Week sort of makes people feel like each one of these events is special. Even if it doesn't always get played, sometimes it's just a, oh, hey, I've wanted to see that game, and, and it will bring a couple extra people out. And I think that's pretty important uh, just to have something new. And, and if I get a new game in, or I know I'll have one by that time, that's the game I'll put up as the Game of the Month. Yep. Uh, and so we use Facebook quite a bit, and we also have... Uh, you know, press releases because there's a, a lady who works at the library who used to work for newspapers and news agencies. And so she's an ace at writing press reports and she sort of, sort of taught me how to do that. So every couple of months I'll send out a press report to the newspapers and it's surprising how often they'll put us into their schedule. And I also, I created a website for our local uh, out of school time um, agencies called go george and it's a uh, go net 
And any company or I mean any company or any agency or anyone who's offering out of school time programming, whether it's before school or after school or on the weekends, can sort of join this organization, this uh, collaborative, and get their events and stuff posted in there. That sounds like a really, really good idea. And, well, it Actually. is. And it's kind of funny. We've been talking with uh, the Georgetown County out of school time. It was a coalition for the longest time. And now it's a collaboration. I'm not exactly sure why it changed. But you'd think being on the steering <laughs> committee, I'd have more knowledge of these things. Um, but in any case, uh, oh, that it's a lot of us who are getting together and talk. And stuff has finally started to happen where... We're having speakers come in. We have a group who's into activism, and so they're talking to lobbyists or to local politicians, which is something I can't do because I work actually for a public agency, so I'm not allowed to lobby, which is kind of weird. Um, mm. But that the you know it's just neat to see all of these organizations who sort of care about the same thing. And what it is is we care about the kids of Georgetown County, and we want to make sure that because we're in such an isolated area, we don't have the population density that the big charities will walk up to and say, Hey, uh, you know, we're Phillips and we need to donate a lot of money to somewhere to help something out because we want to improve our image or we care about a community or whatever it is. You don't get the big bang for the buck here that you do elsewhere, but because yep. we have so many people who care, you can actually make your efforts stretch a lot farther into the community. And, and that's why we've gotten so many LSTA grants where we're able to do special programs, which will include gaming, um, but they're not actually gaming focused. I really like the idea of building, you know, an internet hub for, um, you know, the local area where all of those different activities can plug in. That sounds like something that could be really useful. Uh, you know, it's pretty neat. I don't have a lot of time for it. And since it's sort of a volunteer thing on my part, um, it's it's a little rough around the edges, uh, but it's starting to gain some traction, and that's pretty exciting that, you know, if people will go there and take a look at it, and we're trying to get, like, a little subpage for every group who's who's involved, and only about 10% of our groups have sort of managed to get me the contact information and all the stuff that, that they want up. Yep. And it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, so uh, I guess the answer is you build your own marketing solutions, uh, but you can take uh, both you know, free marketing wherever you can get it, you know, to schools or churches or, or however you can and just get the word out. Word of mouth is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest way. So anytime you can spur word of mouth, which is, Hey, we're at the library, we're doing this. Oh, and we offer games. So if you have any kids, bring them out. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um, so shifting tack and answering the final part of the question before, I suppose we've been talking, we've taken so long with this or, I shouldn't say we, I've taken so long answering my portions of this question that um, we're sort of running close to the end of the episode here, Don. Mm. Um, but but focusing on the last part of the question, what were some of the favourite games of you when you were at school? Wow. Uh, I, I would have to say Pente was one of my favourite games when I was a kid. And that's because my mom, I got it for Christmas one year, and my mom said, hey, some guys who were up at uh, um, Stillwater, Oklahoma, where OSU, Oklahoma State University is, they made this game. And I was like, they made a game? What a brilliant idea. <laughs> That's, I, I could make a game. And from then I was off and running. And you know, it's a very simple game. It's sort of 
a you know knockoff of tic-tac-toe and a go sort of you're trying to get five little pieces in a row and you can capture pieces and and all that and i thought this was exciting people can make games because before that point it was like uh, i was a kid and there were games and games existed and i got to play them as opposed to ever thinking about where they came from (laughs) i know that's a silly thing but that was the spark right there that said Oh, I can make stuff. So this obviously then had an impact on your future gaming self. What are we, your social development? That's the other part of the question. Oh, social development. Well, you know, I helped set up tournaments at uh, high school when we got into high school. And I've run gaming events and I've organized game clubs. And I was, it's sort of weird because I've heard tales of geek shaming and kids who were into gaming or geek-like activities being messed with in high school. But I guess since I also did sports, I played football my freshman year of high school and stuff like that, I sort of floated from game group to game, or not from game group to game group, from social circle to social circle. I knew the smart kids. I knew the stoner kids. I was knew all the people from you know the jocks and stuff because I'd played that in high school that I, you know, I wasn't probably the most popular person in any of the groups, but I could easily sort of slip in to any of them because I think that gaming really gave me a perspective of, I did a lot of role-playing games too. And I think that gave me a lot of perspective. I was like, well, how do other people see these situations? Yeah. And you know, it's, they, there's, there's a stereotype that people who play games aren't social. And I think that, that that's wrong. And that some people are more interested in the mechanisms of games. And some people are more interested in the social aspects of games. And if you find, that you're one of the people who are sort of interested in both, that it can be a great socializer and a, and a great way to help build up some of your social skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, um, I distinctly, I suppose, two games probably stand out in my mind, um, and one of those was uh, Warhammer, which is a which is a miniatures game um, published by Games Workshop, still still released by Games Workshop. Um, and I had a teacher in when I was at primary school, probably in grade four or five, who um, played Warhammer and, and bought his armies in and, uh, you know, illegally photocopied me versions of the rules and things like that. And, and myself and a group of friends really got into it and, you know, joined a, great, a games club and... Um, you know, pestered our parents to spend hundreds of dollars on models and paints and paintbrushes and so forth. So um, that that was really probably a, a formative game experience for me in terms of shaping uh, myself as a gamer. Um, and then the second was uh, something during high school, early early high school. I was in a bookshop. I was looking at some various miniatures. Um, and came across this sort of glossy covered book um, with a with a hobbit hiding behind a stone and a Nazgul uh, in the background and thought, oh, that looks fantastic, I'll have to get that, and, and did so and then spent a few breathless days, you know, desperately turning the pages of this book and and um, my world, I, I distinctly remember actually lying on the floor in my bedroom reading um, this book and, and my whole perspective on, on gaming and, and the possibilities opened before me like this sort of yawning gulf that, that I hadn't even uh, been aware existed. And uh, What year was this, do you think? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. The, the game itself was Merp. 
um, that I'd done. Um, right, I, I worked I, on I worked on Merp a little bit when I was at Iron Crown. Well, have you to thank, sir? Have you to well, thank? Well, it was wasn't until '95, <laughs> and, and I, I just worked on the Hobbiton thing where I did the map and stuff. I yeah. or messed with with the map and did some of the graphic design since I was in their production department. But they they had had most of it done before I got there, and that was the last Middle Earth product they allowed me to touch, except for the card game. <laughs> Well, no, I distinctly remember it is it is a really vivid memory for me to be lying back on the on, on the ground, actually reading the introductory scenario where these these people are. You still remember it now, exploring a, um, a sort of a watchtower and then do battle with some orcs that are in there, and the possibilities of of what that game system could hold, um, you know, and the play experiences that it could engender just you know really opened my mind and and that really really influenced um you know myself as a gamer you know i went on to play a lot of role-playing games in um, high school i spent a lot of time um developing and writing my own role-playing games um and running those with 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 any group of friends that i could inflict them on um, in fact, the, the largest of those was about 250,000 words, and I was sort of getting it sort of semi-ready to send to a publisher. Um, it, you know, it led to me going and doing a professional writing course, which led to me doing um, teaching, which, which you know, led to me being here. So, um, you know, it really was a sort of th- those two things being very formative experiences, I suppose, in my life, yeah. I, I sort of had the same experience with role-playing games, and that was you know, a couple of years after the whole Pente thing. But I was, you know, playing... I went over to a friend's house just to goof off, and his dad said, Hey, Donald Dennis, do you play D&D? And I was like, what's that? And so his son so- showed it to me, and boom, we were on the run. Mm. And, you know, and I finally got into a game where some older guy was the GM. I say older. He was probably not even in high school or just into high school. Yeah. Uh, and... He was mixing that and the Iron Crown system, and because he sort of didn't hold D&D up as this final holy product, it was more of a, here's a <laughs> set of tools. paragon of virtue. Right. It's like, here's a set of <laughs> tools, and when I don't like this tool, I'm going to get another tool, and we're going to make it work. Yeah. That also sort of allowed me to see you know, role-playing games across the spectrum and say, this game doesn't do what I want. I'm either going to fix it, or I'm going to write a new one myself, or I'm going to do whatever I can to make this work for me. And yeah, that, 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 that was probably one of the big things that's followed me from the from my early days until now is it's rare that I let well enough alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that because, you know, having, you know, obviously reading reading those rules for Merp was, was, was you know, that that a real experience for me and and led to, you know, so much. But by the same token, I'm not sure if we ever actually played a game of Merp by the rules, by the literal rules. You know, I've always been uh, very sort of cinematically minded with role-playing games, and so the rules sort of um, fall very much into the second place when compared to, you know, the excitement of the story. Um, you know, and I... You know, it often, you know, we'd often just leave the dice on the table, so to speak, as long as as long as the story was enjoyable. But yeah, it, it the same sort of thing for me as well, Don. You know, it 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 was a really um, mind opening sort of experience. Well, and I agree with that. I I follow the sort of the same school, I guess, that you do. When I was working at Iron Crown, 
I had to run one of their sessions at a convention and I didn't know the rules. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I can run it. And like, have you ever run this game before? I'm like, no, no, never. I played it once a while back and so I can do it. And the whole trick was just to keep the players so engaged that, you know, when you had to look up a rule, they didn't mind. And and everybody who worked for the company was like, okay, let's check the scores of everybody and see how the GMs did. And I think me and and the other guy who probably knew the rules the best were the two people who got the highest GM scores. And they were like, how did you do this? You didn't even know the scenario before you started running it. (laughs) It's like, that's not the point. The point is to have fun. Yeah, exactly. No, you know, I always loved um, in Merp the the critical charts and the um, the fumble charts. You know, you fall backwards over an invisible turtle and, and that sort of thing. You know, it's always always a, always brought a chuckle. Yep. So that's it. I guess uh, we should probably wrap this one up. Absolutely, we've still got some questions and, to cover. Maybe we can answer another another question next time. <laughs> we certainly intended to answer more than that so sorry for my long-winded responses or hopefully they're not all um drudgery to listen to <laughs> you know, it was by listener demand yes but did, did the, the listeners probably were unaware of uh what trap they were setting for themselves <laughs> so here's what we can ask our listeners is we've got a bunch of topics that we said oh we should cover this later or we'll cover it in the future but if you have a specific question or a specific topic that you would like us to discuss in a future episode of Games in Schools and Libraries, please email that to us at Giles. Our email is uh, gsl at gameschoolslibraries.com. And uh, you can find that email at our website, which is gameschoolslibraries.com. Um, so feel free, as Don said, to email us any feedback. Uh, certainly a bit my long-windedness, but... But also, um, you know, any questions or any any topic suggestions, anything that you'd like to hear covered. Um, and also, there's a link there to our guild on Board Game Geek, uh, where you can join the discussion there, um, comment on various episodes, or um, tell your own story about games clubs that you've run at schools or in libraries. We'd love to hear all of those. So, absolutely, you know, love to hear it. Right. Oh, and of course. I got nothing else. That's wonderful, Giles. Thank you very much for having me on to chat once again about games in schools and libraries. Absolute pleasure, Don. And until next time, I'm Giles Pritchard. And I'm Donald Dennis. You've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Stop. Stop. Please, for the love. Yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. For a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.